Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. And I'm Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Today, we are joined by our friend Kate Hyde. Uh, this is her third annual visit uh, to us uh, as sort of a year in review, and this has been a year unlike any other. Uh, we started the year with everybody boasting about their 2020 vision, but nobody saw what was coming next. And uh, so now to, to sort of look back at the year and and to the extent possible, maybe bring a little bit of joy to our memories of 2020, uh, we want to welcome Kate Hyde. Hey! And I, I just want to remind uh, listeners that last year when we did the uh, 2019 year in review, uh, Doug had this this fun idea that we would pretend it was the end of 2020, and uh, that didn't work out very well for all sorts of reasons. Not well at all. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> so, where do you want to start? I mean, there's so much to talk about, but about about 2020, but it's almost like there's so much that we want to forget. And I think that one of the things that maybe is sort of unique to your perspective is that you split your time between New York and Florida. And those are two of the cities that really, I mean, two of the places that have really had a very different type of response to the pandemic. And it's played out there. The politics of how the pandemic's played out has been so different. And so, you know, from your perspective, talk a little bit about what the experience has been like in those two places. Uh, and then, then we can then we can do some finger pointing at specifically at people like de Blasio and Cuomo and get your takes on how, how they perform. But tell us a little bit about your perspective of how things were different early on in the spring in New York and Florida. Yeah. So uh, things, you nailed it when you said that things were different. Um, I had an interesting experience with COVID because I started out the year in New York and then just before COVID, um, I was traveling a bit and you saw this slow creep of, you know, people wearing masks or people wearing gloves or it was the last trip I took was, again, it was just before, like a week before the lockdowns really started. And it was a bunch of kids going off to spring break. And it was really funny to see a few kids when I did, yeah, it was a final trip from New York to Florida. And it was really interesting to see some of the kids, the ones who you know their parents were like, you can only go on this trip, but we're really scared of this virus, put on a mask, put on gloves. They were just suited up. They looked like Ghostbusters. And the rest of their friends were having a ball. So it was this weird sort of strange creeping in um, of COVID. And when I got to Florida, um, I didn't, I had planned to be there for two, three weeks maybe. And I was, I was ready to do my own lockdown, right? I said, I'm going to go to Florida. I'm going to just kind of stay in, get my, my everything reset, right? I'll, I'll good diet, get to the gym, all of it. Turns out the entire world thought that was a great idea and decided to join me in it. So I was starting my lockdown kind of before everyone else. And then I continued on in this lockdown and the, the slow evolution down there was far different than from what I was hearing from my family and my friends up in New York. Um, it, it was, you know, it was a lot more relaxed. I never truly felt the the major fear um, when I'd go to to the food store. 
the cashiers, you know, the, slowly everything like anything else got more and more locked down. But the cashiers were making fun of the few people that would come in and be like, why are you so close to me? Get away. Everyone was kind of just laughing it off. And I think I was in, you know, as if there is a more rascally part of Florida than another. I think I was in maybe a rascally part of Florida where everyone just kind of threw their hands up and said, like, we'll deal with it. Right. Like we're we're used to all the the crazy things that happen in life. But um, but but it was really interesting to be down there and hear about what was going on in New York. I was thanking every every lucky star in the universe that I got trapped down there, basically, and and you know, was living a fairly normal life. Um when things started opening back up in you know April and May, I I've had this weird experience where I don't actually realize that a lot of the world is not opened up again. Um, as as things started to open up, and I remember the first restaurant I went to that reopened, and everyone was just sort of. I know it sounds really bizarre, but everyone that was there, it it felt like a patriotic thing to do. Of like, let's stop this lockdown that stopped this fear. Everyone was at their their dinner tables with their families having a good time. People were respecting the idea that there was a virus. It, you know, no one was getting too crazy, but it was this freeing moment to finally get back into the the world. And when I would talk to people in New York, I didn't realize that really never happened. They really didn't have that like we're starting to to open up now. Things are going to look good again, you know let's let's try to live a normal life. Um, you didn't really have that. The the lockdowns as they eased in Florida, um, they kind of just eased. And then as you know, DeSantis kind of kept it that way. Like let's let's do let's let's get back to normal as much as we can, respect the virus, get back to normal and we'll deal with what happens later. And then you have the complete opposite um, you know, being back in New York, because then I did transfer back up to New York. And um e- yeah, I, it's it's crazy because I always think that the city is the worst part of New York. And as I've been in other parts of New York during this whole experience, no, Cuomo really has a, a strong hold on this entire state, and it's really unfortunate. But it's but it's the dichotomy between the two, and, and having been able to live so long in each of the states during this wild time, it really did show firsthand just the the overall atmosphere of the state and the difference between you know a, a strong leader and a crazy egomaniac one. Yeah, I think the other thing that was striking to me was, and I don't recall if it was the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, I think the Times, that there was sometime over this, it was in the spring or the summer, and there was this scolding uh, piece, and it had a picture of a young lady in a bikini who looked like she was probably about 20 yards away from everybody. But there was this one young lady on a bikini and it was a scolding piece saying, well, look at these Floridians and how they're not social distancing. And it, to me, this was like, this is one of these really interesting moments where if we'd been thinking about it, going outside is actually probably the right thing to do. So, and as we've learned, soaking up the vitamin D is helpful. But yet there was this such a an idea of the only solution is a lockdown. And I kept, you know, and I'm not even, you know, in Florida or from Florida, but I kept seeing all the scolding of Floridians for going outside. We had some of that in Texas where, you know, even like in this state, we, you know, we, we, we limited the ability to go to a state park. This is just, it's, it doesn't make any sense to me because what would have made sense is actually encourage more people like, look, you know, social distance at home. And then when you need, when you need to get out, go outside. But there was just, it seems like there was just like this re- instinctive backlash of 
by New Yorkers and other people in the you know in the Northeast, sort of bashing Floridians, which I, I speculate, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this. I think this has probably had a little bit of a backlash in the you know in the 2020 election, where Floridians probably wanted to thumb their nose at at you know at Democrats in other states for bashing them so much. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, nobody likes to be, you know, made fun of and bashed. And and guess what? I mean, look at, you know, if you're being honest about what happened, Florida didn't fare any different or any worse than anyone else that operated differently. You know, New York is still getting hit tremendously poorly. And guess, you know, which governor wrote the book on how to get through a pandemic? It's the one, you know, in New York who's having the most issues and and failing so fully. Um yeah, you know, I think that there's a lot of um, dismay. I think there's a lot of of hidden hatred for if you're a real, you know, now it's really illiberal. But if you're a liberal New Yorker and you've gone down the slippery slope of these these rules and these laws and the way you know the taxes and everything that's just encroaching on the way we live, left and right, what we're allowed to do, um, you you kind of get you know. Obviously, I'm. I'm. This isn't an underlying feeling of mine. I'll say it out loud. It's really frustrating to look at other states and see what they're allowed to do. Right? I think that the, the people who support Cuomo, the Democrats, the the liberals, you know, whoever is still behind Cuomo, I think there's a lot of ease. Um, it makes it easy to point at the other states because you're really so angry that they're able to do what you're not, but you have submitted and you've complied and you want to feel like what you have done is right. So instead of just saying, hey, maybe this isn't right, maybe this guy isn't good, maybe this team I've signed up for or the people I'm trying to be cool for, you know, maybe they don't have my best interests in mind or the state in general. I, 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 it, it breaks my heart because New York deserves better than Cuomo. I, I will make all the New York jokes in the world, but New York is... I, you know, our history, everything we have, it's, it's the, the city, it's, it's the best in the world. It's the greatest. New York City is the epicenter of the world, I believe. Not anymore. And I think that, that to just comply with Cuomo because he's a Democrat or you think he's cool or you think he's about to get an even more powerful position, whatever it may be, um, it's really unfortunate because I think even the people who are going along with it are, are really saying, I wish I could be Florida. And since I'm not, I'm going to make fun of you. Now, I recall early on um, that when President Trump was referring to the, the, the Chinese virus, the Chinese Wuhan flu, whatever he was calling it, that there was sort of early on, there was a, a re- response from Democrats saying this is racist and if the president is telling you not to go to Chinese New Year, not to do other social events, don't listen to him. You need to go out and show your your show that your show your support for the community and go out and do these community activities. Am I remembering that wrong about de Blasio? Oh no, he was the same, yeah. Same way. Democrats calling people racist? That doesn't sound right. (laughs) Believe it or not. (laughs) So who had the worst um, pandemic, de Blasio or Cuomo? Um, wow. You know what? I don't don't know because I have a hard time saying that they failed in the pandemic. Well, let's – okay, no. Cuomo failed harder in the pandemic. Right. Because Cuomo superseded all, you know, there's only so much that de Blasio can do when it comes to the real 
big shot calls here. And Cuomo, who's in charge of the whole state, didn't manage anything correctly in the city or outside of the city, Western New York, uh, you know, Northern New York, none of it. So Cuomo definitely had a worse time. But the thing is, is that the pandemic really showed, I think, maybe to more people, hopefully to more New Yorkers, hopefully to more of the country, the already downward trajectory we were going in New York. I mean, the idea that because of the pandemic, we don't have the funds to pay for what we need for the pandemic. No, you were running our our state completely empty of all, all resources and all funds. And anything that you asked for, the guy that you're now saying is the worst person in the world, Trump, is he gave you it. He, we sent the, he sent the ship to the, to the, um, you know, the USS Comfort to New York. He, he, he said, anything you need, I'm here, I'm helping. And then, you know, he's now, he's just, because the it, New York has failed so badly, he still has to, the thing about Cuomo is if things are good, it's him, right? He did well. Everything is is perfect. It's because of his leadership. And he'll tell you that and he'll write a book on it, as we've learned. But if it's bad, it goes one of two ways. If it's a if it's a leadership uh problem, he points upward. He goes, It's the people in charge of me. It's President Trump. I, you know, he didn't give me what I wanted. He he couldn't this, that. It's all him. It's a problem. If it's bad and it's, you know, it can go down, it's always on us. I don't know how many of these press conferences you've listened to, but he has a, a really big thing with shaming the people for when the numbers go up. So if the numbers are, are are doing well, he'll say, we did it. This is all because you know of what we did here, uh, our leadership, the calls we did. Here's a book about it. If the numbers are bad, it's, I've been telling you, you guys don't listen to me. He's scolding us like a father. He's saying, you, you are not doing what I'm telling you to. And again, it's not as simple as that, right? The things that he's telling us to do, everyone's complying. And these these arbitrary rules and the shutdowns and the this can stay open, that has to close. We won't show you the evidence for it. We're just going to yell at you because we're out of control. I mean, it's absurd. So as you've seen in this pandemic, it's just showed that they've, they've both run this state and de Blasio has run that city into the ground. The, the city before COVID was really getting frightening to me. There was far too much trouble going on there. I I no longer felt safe in the middle of the day walking down 8th Avenue like I could years prior. It was really getting bad. So this really just exposed it. It's just bad, 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 bad. And I, I was hoping during this whole COVID thing that everywhere, whether it was New York or the country, everyone took a, a good assessment of their life. And, and it was, I was hoping this would be a great reset, not as they're saying now. I used to say that in the beginning. I hope this is a great reset and everyone gets to figure out what's really important and what they need to do and what, you know, what they need to focus on. And, and if you hit rock bottom during this, get your way back up. You know, now they're saying a great reset to make a, a world economy, which was not the, the reset I want. But anyway, yeah, I'm hoping that people see that, that, New York was already on this really bad, bad track. And I think this just really put the final nail in the coffin. So they both were horrible. So actually, I wanted to talk about before the pandemic, because we did have like a month or two. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> you know, people may not remember, like, remember when the president got impeached, right? Right. That was like, or like we killed that Iranian guy. Yeah. A, a war. I don't. I don't remember if that actually. If the maybe we had the war, and I don't remember. I don't know. 
and and, uh, and and even economically, we we people forget that in January we actually had like the strongest economy we've had in decades. People don't even believe that, but we actually did. Yeah, and Renee Zellweger won Best Actress at the what? Academy Awards, right? You remember that happening? <laughs> no, no, I don't. You do not. <laughs> I can't even tell if that's a joke, which way that joke goes, because I have no <laughs> idea anything about any person or award. I'm so bad with that. I, I, just, I looked it up. I didn't remember it. Uh, I didn't even remember that she was in a movie, but apparently she was. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, like there was a, there were like uh, uh, fires in Australia. Do you remember the fire? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Murder hornets and all that, but that was—I guess murder, that came oh, later. Happened, I think the murder hornets didn't like happened after. Right, it was already crazy. It was already. It was already part of uh, part of part of COVID. But, yeah, um, Josiah, I'm really excited that you brought that up, though, because when we did the the year in review last year, I remember we actually did it in the beginning of this year. And the big joke was we were going to pretend I when when you guys approached me, hey, we we didn't get it in, we didn't squeeze it in, we're still going to do an end of the year review, but it's just going to be in the very beginning of the new year. Yeah. I thought that you guys, the original approach was going to be, let's review the year as in 2020, as in the first three days, because I think we recorded on the third or the fourth or whatever <laughs> it was. And I remember thinking that is the best idea ever. And I was so ready for it because the beginning of 2020 in the very first two days were it, it great. Like there was a lot going on. It, it definitely seemed like there was a lot going on at the time. Yeah, Absolutely. And I, and I said, um, you know, that that the decade was off to a great start. And I remember being like, wow, I really thought it was off to a great start. And and I was so glad when I looked back and I had, I think I had tweeted it. Like, I, I was like, thank God I said the decade because we still have time to redeem that, right? Because I personally liked 2020. I don't, I find it very hard to find a bad year, a, a bad struggle, a bad, you know, I, so I, I hate to just say 2020 was a bad year. I, I, think a lot of people had had a lot of trouble they didn't have to go through and that's what breaks my heart but I think to call 2020 a bad year is to to just focus on only the awful things when really there was so much intertwined in this in this year that I don't I don't want to overlook because there was a lot of greatness there, there was a whole the Mike Bloomberg campaign <laughs> there was a whole thing where he was going to become the president. And uh, I actually remember, I remember at one point I was in the hospital, not, not me personally, but I was in the hospital and um, they, you know, I noticed that on TV, they weren't talking about Trump anymore. They were talking about Mike Bloomberg and I thought, whoa, you know, that's, that's something. And then of course, a week later that was all gone. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a busy time. It was a busy, a busy, simpler Simpler time. That's yeah, speak, speaking about the speaking about the campaign, uh, Kate. What was tell us some of your your highlights? What were some of your favorite moments from Joe Biden on the campaign? What what really stands out about his campaign? I think what really stands out for me is the lesson that it teaches us as Americans and the young you know, the youth that are growing up and can see this man get elected, right? Because what are we looking at? We're looking at a guy who has dedicated his life to government for decades upon decades upon decades, has run for president many times, has f had to drop out many times because 
plagiarizing, um, you know, all the all the things, every lie he's ever been caught in, all of these things, it really shows that, hey, you know what? That thing that was so important to us suddenly goes out the window. That plagiarizing thing that we all were taught really hard not to do in school and it's really bad when you copy and it's really bad to do these things, you can still grow up and be president. So I think it was very interesting to watch that, that suddenly in 2020, that campaign, I mean, he dropped out in the 80s it, it, running for president. And just it suddenly wasn't a problem. So I think that was the biggest like, oh, okay, we're doing this now. This is suddenly okay now that this guy is being propped up. I, I liked when he yelled at voters, actually. When it, like he called people fats or whatever. What was the line he used on – it was some John Wayne line that yeah. he used on like some 19-year-old girl. Yeah. Uh, pony lying, face or something? Pony face soldier. Dog lying face pony soldier whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a long one. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's a there's a lot. I, I mean, I really look at him. I look at, at you know, every mishap and every gaffe and every failure to comply with the media or answering questions. I just say, hey, if if he could be president, anyone can. That should really be. Yeah, I know Kamala on the trail went. She'd Her thing to say to every little kid was, you know, you can be president someday. And I really think that that Biden winning the election was, hey, you know what? You can be all of these really bad things. You could be under investigation. You could be a, a liar and a cheater and all of it. And you can still go to the top. I find it fascinating. Yeah. And and call people names along the way. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you he was so nasty, but that's okay. You know. Do you I, – do either of you happen to remember – who the New York Times endorsed for the Democratic primary? Yes, I would. Was it Warren? It was, oh. and it was Warren and Klobuchar, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah, the double endorsements. <laughs> two people who I think like combined got five. <laughs> they they put it on two people and they still didn't get one right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Okay. So yeah, that's just that's just you know as far as trips down memory lane. Uh, so, well, so, so I have I have a bit of a question for Josiah because uh, we were talking about how Cuomo and de Blasio and others have handled um, the pandemic and uh, particularly with somebody uh, with comedic genius like Kate. I want I want you to be able to roll out what you have mentioned before, Josiah, that if you had just simply been in charge, everything would have been okay. So would you enlighten the audience? And give Kate an opportunity to comment on what she thinks of your plans of how we should have handled the pandemic. Yes, well, uh, yes. If I had been in charge, everything well to say everything would have been okay. I don't. I, I think that's uh, that's overstating it. Uh, I think that I would have solved the problem. I'll, I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, what was what was the answer? How, how just would simply you have done like that? that? No, that that sounds about right. Just, no, I just would have done it right. I mean, That's well, it. Here's, here's a couple things. Like, um, if you have a if you have a, a virus uh, that you know is circulating in other parts of the globe, uh, you could you could like maybe stop airplanes from coming into the United States, <laughs> right? Uh, we did we we did that with one country, China. That was good, but then. Like later, when it was like, oh, the virus is in all these other countries, 
uh, we, you know, apparently didn't think, that, <laughs> apparently didn't didn't remember that we had done that. So that's that's one thing. Uh, yeah, I, I, on that point, I recall I actually knew somebody who was traveling in Europe, and they were given a heads up when it when they had the European travel ban. They said, if you're an American and you want to come home, you have 48 hours to come home. Right. That's like the opposite, right? I mean, they should have like you need to isolate for two yeah, weeks I mean, in a hotel, and then you can come home. Uh, yeah, or you could like they could have done something where like you can come home, but then you know when you get off of the plane, we're gonna bundle you over to the USS Comfort, <laughs> right. using, uh, and you can just hang out there for a couple of weeks, right? They could have right. done that, I suppose. Uh, yeah, that would be that would be one thing, right? Um, uh, you know. It, Probably, probably would have been better if we hadn't screwed up the tests. Uh, <laughs> that would have been nice, you know, or let people let people use it. Uh, I don't know how funny that is, but uh, yeah, it's like so far you're not giving us comedic material. You know, Josiah, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed. You were sitting on all of this great, you know, way to execute getting through a pandemic, and you didn't share this with us during I, the time. You just sat back and let the country implode. I did try to share it with people uh, who, uh, you know, have connections with people and uh, the, no one, no one listened to me. <laughs> yeah. and, and, I, and I think that connections we, where at, at uh, Tim Hortons or uh, no, no, in the government and, um, you know, uh, media people, mm, the spies. I see. Yeah. And, and, and I think that every podcast for like about seven months was one one topic or another about COVID. We, I mean, we're, there was nothing else we could talk about. Well, that's true. Yeah, it did become at least uh, at least for a few months, uh, it did become kind of a pretty prevalent topic. I bet the the biggest down was Josiah. Can you explain for us what I remember of 2020? And we're talking social media scandals. I remember listening to a podcast and hearing that Josiah had been blocked. Someone was talking about you, and there was a story, and I was like, whoa, a a, a totally disconnected podcast I'm listening to is talking about Josiah getting in trouble on Twitter. What was that uh, all about? Uh, yeah. Do you, do you, you know, happen to, do you remember what podcast it was? Uh, I think it was blocked and reported. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so this was, I guess this would have been in October or something. There was a, a shooting. Uh, there was a police shooting and uh, it was, I guess a person who's like mentally disturbed had a, this was maybe in Kentucky, something like that, and he had uh, attacked the police with a with a knife, and and they shot him. And uh, I mentioned on Twitter that uh, Joe Biden has repeatedly said that his strategy for those circumstances is that the police should shoot the person in the leg instead of <laughs> shooting them with kill. And so I I tweeted this, and I got suspended because they said I was threatening. Uh, violence against people uh and like biden did actually say that and you know uh i'm not saying that like i approve or disapprove of biden's statements but he did say that and i guess if they had shot him in the leg he would still be alive uh, i don't know if you're like could threaten violence against a dead person but uh but yeah so that was kind of weird i you know i did a appeal and they said no no we think that you were really threatening violence against people and so uh uh, I was like off for a couple of days, oh, so my. I don't know if that's funny either. But that's what happened. <laughs> how, how did you survive without without social media for two days? Yeah, it, it was it was rough. It, it was very rough. Uh, 
I would like to say, like, I wish that I could say that um, did a lot of productive stuff with my time, uh, but mostly I just was looking at Twitter, not logged into anything. <laughs> I, I think that I have come close to deactivating my account probably about three times this year, where I'm just like, what's the point of any of this? And, you know, and some of it is just the, I think particularly at times during the pandemic, the tensions were so high that it was so easy for people just to, even more even more than normal on Twitter, that people just assume the worst, they're argumentative, and they, you know, and it was, to me, it's like this has gotten so toxic that I've had to pull myself away a few times. Like, it's just not, it's not healthy um, to be on there at times. So, but, you know, actually, you bring up an interesting point, too, is it's, I think if we had not had this, this mindset that was drilled into us in the spring of if we if we just now if we just will you know isolate for two weeks just two weeks we'll conquer this and then it became another two weeks two weeks two weeks two weeks i think that if we actually knew that we were gonna everybody was gonna go on a sabbatical for the entirety of 2020 i think there's so much more that we actually probably would have been planning to do so many books we would have read maybe books we would have written but it just felt like it was just continuous just waiting like it's the hope is right around the corner, but it never actually comes like the work that's being done in my kitchen. Right. It's always dangling around the corner. And so you're like, well, I'm not going to start that. I don't know how long this is going to be. And yeah, we've, and, and that's, what's really interesting is, is how they saw how easy it was to get everyone to slow down and shut down that they're just dragging. I mean, especially in New York, they're just dragging it as long as they can to see just how much we'll put up with. But yeah, I, I mean, if you're not, if you didn't start doing the things now, you know, that you said you didn't have time for, and again, it, it goes different. A lot of people actually lost a lot of time because they were put, they had more responsibilities on them. But, but in general, with that, the, uh, with the slowdown point of this, if you were always like, I wish I had more time, I would read, I would write. If you didn't do it in this past year, you probably, you know, aren't really going to do it much. <laughs> Stop yeah, hoping. Would- you would not have used your time more productively. I mean, uh, let's let's be honest. Right. You know, you're not going to read, uh, you know, all of uh, Proust or. And you know what's interesting though is I think you might have in a different era because now we were forced to shut down, but it, the internet wasn't shut down. Other people, you know, had more time to be on social media. People were posting and yelling and doing all of that. That that really consumed. Um, a lot of people that I think if we had been in a sort of lockdown, almost like when the power goes out, you know, when you go, Oh no, big storm, the power's out for a few days. That's when you really see what um, you accomplish or what you like to do or what you get into. And I, I think it's really, you know, it was, it was obviously phenomenal, but at the same time, just for that creative human spirit, I think it was a little bit disappointing that we weren't quite shut off from the world, even though we all had to stay inside. Yeah, I think I've actually learned to really appreciate my commute, which is going to sound really strange, but you you after, you know, almost a full year of, you know, I maybe go to the office like once every week or every two weeks now, missing out on those times where you can get have a, have thoughts to yourself or go into a, an office, shut the door and, you know, you're you either work, uh, you know, in, in the quiet or actually have thinking time. I think for me, that's been one of the things that I have missed about the year is even though I have so much more time, you would think it's there's being at home so much, 
there's always one more distraction and it's just the ability to actually sort of cloister and find time. Ironically, I've had less of the ability to cloister like that in isolation. It doesn't seem like it would be that way, but that's been my experience. Yeah, I think if you're in in lockdown and you have another person that you're living with, there it's it's an impossible feat. I, you know, I've split my time between being around people and not during the whole lockdown. And when I was not around people, I was far more productive. But then, you know, there's pluses and minuses. Then it's also, oh, wait, I haven't had a hug in 50 days, you know. It's an interesting toss-up. But yeah, if you if you have people in your space where you're locked down, it's it's an almost impossible. So I want to ask you about uh, some of the odd things that have happened this year, like the monoliths. Have you been seeing this story about the appearance of all these monoliths, and do you have a theory behind it? I do have a theory behind it. Would you like to hear mine? I, I would like to hear your theory. Okay. The theory I don't think is as as scandalous as, as anyone wants to hear. I don't think it's aliens. I don't think it's um, anything rascally or magical. I think it's magical in the sense that I do believe that it's a an artist or a, a group of artists, just people who refreshingly want to do something that stirs up curiosity in all of us without having to put their name on it. And I think that is one of the most beautiful things in 2020, where you can stir up a little controversy that doesn't hurt anyone, and yet you don't want any of the credit for it. I have absolutely loved to see that something like that can still transpire. And it actually inspires me. I, I was like, man, what could I do that no one would ever know I did it, but it would be either, you know, some, again, you, you start thinking like in the middle of the desert, what could you put? What's something weird? What's something that when someone sees it, they go, what on earth is this? It just made my day because it's so bizarre. So I just think it's, I just think it's, it's uh, trolls in, um, in human form, just perusing the, the desert and wanting to do something cool. Happy trolls though, right? Happy oh, trolls. absolutely. Bringing, bringing joy. T- totally. I think, I think Cuomo did it. <laughs> <laughs> For any purpose? Uh, yeah, he just, I think his motives are, as you said, he wanted to do something nice for people and not take any credit. Huh. Could you could you imagine that he has a demolished a whole a whole population and he's like, you know, I think a shiny triangle in the desert. Is <laughs> I bet, if I, I bet, because you, you know uh, that at some point, they put out like this weird poster about the like COVID mountain or something. Do you, mm-hmm. remember, do you remember that? Oh yeah. I, I bet that if you go back and look at that closely, there are monoliths in there, right? That coded messages that you know tell you what what is coming. That sounds like one of the greatest Q conspiracies I've heard yet. Yeah, I haven't verified this. I'm not going to, uh, but I I'm just going to say I assume that it's true. Uh, that's fair. I think that's that's a good way to roll. Assume things are true. Don't verify. <laughs> Trust, don't well, verify. I like it. So, you know, so, you know I, I take your point about that this is almost like happy trolling and all this. And I actually am surprised maybe that I haven't seen more things like that. Or I forget the guy's name. You'll know him. The guy from The Office that was in 13 Hours, which is a fine, t- fine movie. Uh, Jay Krasinski or something? Yeah, yeah, that guy. Um, I'm not an Office fan. But he had briefly had that um, Good News Network, whatever it was called, right? 
I'm really surprised we didn't see more of that. Instead, we were, you know, we had this nonsense with like all the celebrity singing Imagine, which is like the absolute worst possible song to be singing to people when they're actually going through real human tragedy. It's like, I'm a little surprised. I don't know if either of you are, but I'm a little surprised that we didn't see more people uh, trying to you know, actively bring joy. I mean, well, another good, good example would be Steve Martin with his banjo. You know, that, that, that was a really good, positive type of response. That is so funny that you say that because as you were saying, you're surprised you haven't seen more. I very quickly tried to do a little roll in my head of, well, was there any celebrity that tried to do anything? And I was like, you know what? Steve Martin with the banjo, I remember people were like, wow, I feel healed today just by watching this video. I've watched it 50 times. And that's that's really funny. I feel like those are really the only two things that you can put a finger on that celebrities actually, instead of screaming for the attention that they that they were craving, that was all shut off from them, they you know, and use it for good. They all, I mean, that's the only good stuff we got out of these celebrities. I mean, I, I, for one, I'm so glad COVID happened in sense, in the sense that, um, we're going to cut you off right there. Okay. You're glad that COVID happened. Good. (laughs) (laughs) That's the, that's it. That's the, that's the clip. No, but, but in terms of, of these celebrities, I find you really see, and I think part of part of that problem, Doug, it was that, yeah, you had, I think, Jim, uh, not Jim, John Krasinski, right? He plays Jim. But you had Jim from The Office, and he was doing that that happy TV thing. I never watched it, but it did seem like it was joyous and good. Um, and, and the problem is, though, I think beyond that is that COVID really revealed that a lot of these people that we put in front of the camera to entertain others really aren't that entertaining or they really aren't that talented. And I don't mean that as a slight to them, but I think when you take away the production value of a lot of these people, you really see that there's nothing there. And and another great mask that came off as everyone else's masks were going on in COVID was that um, you just, these celebrities they kind of don't have any filter, right? Like they just come out and they're yelling at everyone. You have, who's the guy? The guy that's on Arrested Development, um, David Cross yelling at people. You have Bette Midler yelling at people every day. You just go, these are miserable people who have put themselves out there and have asked so much of an audience of give me money, let me live this life, watch me, watch me, look at me, give me attention, love me. And then- they just turn on everyone and say, well, I hate all of you. And if you're not the perfect human beings, like you can, I don't care. I don't want to entertain you. It's a very strange, strange um, dynamic, but I think that's why a lot of good, happy things didn't come out. It's because the real talent, it's not really there. People don't have the, the, these late night TV talk show hosts don't actually have the ability to take information handed right in front of them and able to, to twist it and make a joke. It's all writers. It's all performance. So when you take away that audience, you take away the guy saying clap now, you take away the bright lights and the noise and the band, you're just like, okay, this is just a dude sitting at his desk like everyone else. And he really doesn't have much to offer. So I think, I think to be fun in a time like this takes a certain personality and there's really not that many personalities like that out there. Yeah. And I think that the reality, um, that the, the things that were 
positive, the things that were heartwarming, if you will, um, they were happening, you know, when cameras weren't rolling. And and this is going to seem like a really small thing, but I think it actually can be a very big thing. Um, I can't tell you how many times you would see whole families um, in the in our neighborhood out for a walk, and that would be you know middle aged mom and dad with you know teenage son or daughter and toddler son or daughter, and the whole family in train is out walking, and you would never have seen that in a neighborhood like this you know, last year and, you know, I don't know when you're going to see that again, but people, you know, people actually spending time with their own families, people, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many times we've played board games in our house that we normally, you know, maybe that would be something we would do once every two months, but became sort of a very regular occurrence. And I think there's so much of that that has happened that nobody's ever going to report about, um, except maybe some, uh, you know, some fancy column somewhere or a blog post. But I think that that's the core, right? I think that's the core of despite all the craziness, all the hatred we see out there, people losing their minds with conspiracy theories and getting over politicized. Real people actually, they, you know, they, they turned to their families and things were, they got through it. There was a certain amount of resilience because they, they turned to their families and it was, it was not as bad as, it definitely, you know, it's way people got through it because they were able to find strength in their own families and, and their close friends, I think. Totally. And that's the, the sort of stuff I'm saying interlaced with all the crazy of 2020. You really, I feel like it, you have to pause and look at it. I think there there's so much greatness to come out of, um, to come out of the struggles of the year just slightly interlaced between that we weren't going to get that opportunity otherwise. And I think you're totally correct in, in, in that, that, that time, that family time, that, that connection, that reconnecting with people, disconnecting from others, you know, who really matters, who doesn't, what brings you joy, what, when all is going down the drain, if it's your finances and and your all of it, what is left at the bottom? And for a lot of people this year, it's it's a hard year, but the year is going to launch into greater things if you if you can truthfully look at it like that. And and Doug, I mean that sounds awesome. I I recently also got into playing board games with people that I don't normally play board games with. And it's like it's it's such a great bonding time. And I think during a lot of COVID, you wanted the time to just go faster. You wanted to get out of the the lulls. And in playing board games, all of a sudden hours go by and it feels like minutes. And and those are the moments that I think are really important to hold on to in this year. So I'm, I hope that a lot more people are doing that, looking back at the year and saying, what did I get out of it? Even if, you know, you look at it with a broad stroke of it was awful, bad things happen. What, what good came out of it? It's important to do every year. All right, Kate, thank you again for joining us for, I guess, what has now become a tradition. And we look forward to talking with you at the end of 2021, if we get through 2021. I am so excited to start preparing for the end of the year podcast on January 1st to be completely prepared for the best podcast end of the year for 2021 with you guys. Thanks so much for having me again. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, we ask that you would subscribe, leave favorable reviews, and tell your friends to tune in to the Irving Cowboys.